Hey, I'm Ruben from Dub. Welcome to Connection Loop, our actionable podcast about building businesses with daily human connections. Connection Loop features long form interviews with fascinating people in sales, marketing, and beyond. Enjoy today's episode and learn more about Dub at dub.com. And we are live. Hey guys, this is Ruben Dua from Dub's podcast, Connection Loop. And I'm here with Bill Woodich, and we're going to get into a topic that is very uncomfortable for a lot of people to talk about, but in fact, it should not be. And uh, Bill is a best-selling author. He's a business owner. He's a strategist, a coach, so many things. So Bill, let's get into this. If you could just start with a short bio on yourself, and then let's get into the topic. I'm going to try to go at 30,000 feet and come down to 10. I'm going to try to do it in about a minute and 10 seconds, so I've already lost about five. Grew up in a really small town in western Pennsylvania, so small with about 3,200 people that really the only way out, we had to dig our way out. At this time of year, it's got to, you have to have a snow shovel and probably maybe a couple of snow plows. But it was known as the coldest place in the nation. That's how cold this was. That was a great incentive for me, Ruben, just to think, is there a way out of here? You turn on the TV this time of year, you see football games, you see the Rose Bowl in California, you think, man, there's got to be a better way. What price do I have to pay to get there? So my price in the education was pretty expensive. I went to a factory, grew my hair, smoked cigarettes, didn't want to go to college, thought I was going to be cool. I was a rebel without a clue. And what I did is to learn humility and to learn what it is that I really needed. And I knew that if I ever found a way out of that factory, I would do the work, man. I would do whatever it took, no matter how much failure hurt me, it wouldn't hurt as much as punching in, punching out every day, doing the same thing for eight hours. Parents gave me a break, sent me to school, learned how to learn, became the top salesperson at Liberty Mutual, became the top salesperson at another brokerage firm two years later, and decided, let's see how good I really am. Let's see if I can go across this tightrope without a net. Started my own company 27 years ago, and now I'm on with you. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> nice, nice, nice job, man. That, that really sums up the origin story. I, I've always thought about this idea of being in a place with limited access or limited resources and then saying, I can actually break out of this place and I can go to, to a better place or a different place, right? And I, I don't necessarily, I, I can connect to this on some levels, but I can't on others because I was born in Santa Monica. I was raised in Los Angeles. You know, I, I, had, I, was, I, was, I had resources. I, I, everything that came to me, I came from hard work. But I also had some some privileges or some some luxuries, in fact, which I have to admit to. Um, now, what what would you say to people that said I'm stuck and I don't have access and it's not for me and I, this is my life and I, and I, and this is all this is as good as it gets? Let me, let me turn. Let's do the inverse on privilege. For me, the privilege was as weird and as disconnected as it sounds. It's almost like a cognitive dissonance. It was hard work. The work ethic that was instilled in me at a young age that I hated, detested, wanted to dig it away from, that served me later in life because when you're in the field of engagement, no matter what you're doing, there's going to be a place where somebody quits. That one will be me. So I just learned at that point that if I couldn't outsmart, I would outwork, couldn't outwork, I'd outsmart. We all get stuck. You might have started at a place that had a level above mine. But what you did to get to that next level and the level after, well, at every level, man, there's there's a devil. And you learn to, to do whatever it took to get there. We get stuck because of our ego. You see, we don't want to get hurt. We don't want to get rejected. We get to a certain point, we think we're okay. We got the Corvette, got the Ferrari, 
We think, you know what, we don't want to take rejection anymore because our ego tells us and society is now informing us we're good because we see it in the material representation. When you're stuck, it's largely because of ego or it's because you're in the wrong environment and your skill set is better served in another environment or you're not doing the work. So when people come to me and they'll say, Bill, I've done what you said in your book. I burned my boat. I'm ready to go forward. No prisoners, no surrender. If they have a plan B and they don't feel that deep intrinsic pain of what it was like to be somewhere else without, they're not going to do what it takes to succeed. Now, one of the privileges that, uh, that I think that uh, you, were, you were blessed with is that you got the, the tan of the rock You've got the, the the chisel of Larry Ellison, okay? You got, you got the, the, this list goes on, man. You know you're probably you know tall. You look damn good in a you look damn good in a suit because I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile, right? And you know a lot of people don't feel like they they look a certain way. They don't have the chisel. They don't have that polish. They're not the right height. They don't look like uh, you know whatever, right? How how would you respond to people like that? And how would you correct them on what we need to perceive when we look in the mirror to, to be the person that we want to be? Well, that's a great question because what reflects back in the mirror is what you're going to self-talk and it really is going to be absorbed into a certain mindset. And I always said that, you know, wearing a suit doesn't make you good. It doesn't make you great. It just, makes, it just means you're wearing a suit. Expensive threads means you're spending money on a tailor and, and that's really all you're doing. Confidence is the key when you walk into a room. It makes you very attractive if you have real confidence, not not a fake confidence, Ruben, where you're, you're, you're all arrogant, you know, without talent. But arrogance, to a certain degree, or confidence with talent, that's perceived as something that's someone that has maybe the competence that people want to get to know. So the confidence level of a person can be very attractive if their personality and their, their demeanor, so this is someone I want to get to know, and it opens doors for you. And I think that's one of the most important things for your listener, for your viewer, is confidence. Grow your confidence, people want to buy that before they ever stick around to learn of your competence. Mm. Now, one of the things that, that I'm noticing a lot more, and I really try to practice it, and I think we all are to a certain extent, is you know this idea of empathy, compassion, humility in our communication. A lot of people in sales, it's a very conscious effort for them to, to think like that and to communicate like that because a lot of the practices are rooted in maybe arrogance, maybe being cocky, maybe, maybe being overly confident, maybe alphas or alpha issues. Now, what would you say to people that are going through that process of really trying to tap into more emotional sides, more humble sides, while still maintaining confidence, you know, a balance, if you will? I've probably done literally hundreds and hundreds of interviews from television to, to podcasts. It's probably one of the best and most toughest questions I've ever been asked or tried to answer because I'm looking at myself. When I first started out, I was like a feral wolf. I was up there going, I'm going to kill everybody. I'm going to kill everything in my way, and I'm never going to be denied. And I'm, I was this massive you know, P with a K in the end, and I had tremendous ego. The world beats humility into you. If you don't accept and own it and learn it, well, it's going to teach it to you. So after you fail a couple times and you fail hard because you put yourself out there as this egotistical maniac that can't be stopped, the world's going to even up with you. So what I had to do is to stand back and assess and, and for the first time in my life start asking about other people. What must it feel like to be Reuben and be in this position? And actually let myself feel and embrace that. That may be much, much more effective. 
it made me more in line with my true self instead of the self I was trying to represent by driving the cars, flying the planes, and doing all these crazy things. Uh, great question. And that metamorphosis hit me from failure. That's when I changed from being this person who thought I can't be stopped to a person that started to connect with other people and know that I'm not the only one. I have to have other people help me or I'll never get through this stuff. Hmm. That inspires this following question, which is oftentimes when I see certain traits or characteristics in people and I feel negative feelings for them, if I take a moment to really think about what I'm feeling and why I'm feeling it, oftentimes it's because I feel like maybe I'm looking in a mirror, right? If I see someone that I find to be not resourceful, that's lazy, that is not working hard, that is suffering from a victim syndrome, right? Sometimes I have to correct myself and say, why, why do I feel these emotions? Is it because I'm reminded of what I was like when I was 21 years old? Is it because that's what I fear of becoming? Is it that's because I was criticized of being that one day and I reject that as, as I'm on my growth? It's a process and I'm not saying it's always the case, but you know, looking to ourselves when we feel certain emotions, I feel like it's the best evolution that we could do because it's just three layers in that we strip away the ego and the self-defense mechanisms to get to the truth of self-realization. And what is your take on that? What is your process with that? With that? Well, I think we're harder on ourselves than we are with anyone else because mm -hmm. as you said, and there's myriad things that happen. It's almost like a confluence of different things inside of you. Is it this or is it that? The first thing you did that I that I think is a great tool is you stop and ask the question. See, most people are in the sway of that emotional response at first. So that emotional response is taking them in a place that perhaps is not the best place logically. Asking that question breaks the pattern. It's them to a point where they start to think, is this what I really want to feel? What am I feeling right now? Those questions are most important. Mm. Now, in your in your in your book, Fail More. I cannot wait to talk about this, but there is this cycle that I've, I have noticed and I have found in people. I've seen it in myself, first and foremost. I've seen it in entrepreneurs. I've seen it in risk takers. I've seen it with creative people. I've seen it with anyone that's basically trying to do something different that's out of a cocoon, okay? And what it is is this, is that when you go try to do that special thing, you feel like everyone is supporting you. Most of the time, at least some people, hey, you know, you get the pat on the back, you get the post on social media. Awesome that you're doing this cool, cool new thing. We support you. The problem is you're learning and you haven't maybe, you know, spent the 10,000 hours, whatever it takes to actually become an expert in that and to succeed. And maybe you fail. Chances are you do. Let's say it's a 90 plus percent chance of failure on that first thing. Right uh, now, then you go and do it again. OK, the support is a little bit less. OK, and then you do it maybe a third time. The support is a little bit less. By the time you get to, to number seven and number 10, and that could be startups, it could be careers, it could be songs, it could be music, paintings, whatever, that at that point, everyone is like, please stop, just go get a freaking job because this is painful to watch, okay? And you and I both know that it is in that moment where we, to your point, burn our boat, walk, walk the tightrope without looking back and say, you know what, that's where self-love comes in. And then that's where we transcend because that's where we're actually not doing it for validation of other people. We're doing it because it's our purpose. <laughs> there you go. And, and, and I'm going to give you something that I found on my math test when I was in about fourth grade. See, it's a bad one if you see it, but it's a mm. big, big F on there. Ah, so yes. once I felt that, you know what I did? I avoided math.
math. I didn't want to. I didn't want to have to learn how to learn math because it hurt when I failed. And, and I kept trying, and people would laugh, and people would say, "You just should give it up and try something different." But I learned and learned enough to get by 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 staying in that field of play. And, and what you're talking about is a level of self-awareness. It's probably one of the most important things you can do is to look in the mirror and lose the two D batteries. That's that's denial and delusion, and most of the time of the self. Now, when you ask those questions, and I really like that question, what what am I feeling? Why is it that I'm doing this? Same with perception. You know, you referenced Malcolm Gladwell with the 10,000 hours, and, and he's talking about thin slicing in one of his books. And keeping us alive is this thin slice of, of you know, our perspective, our perception. Sometimes, man, our perceptions are clouded by those internal feelings or that, that subconscious part of us that we're not even, even, even aware of. Stepping back in the equation, asking the question, going to give you a better sense of direction because you were using the top part of your brain. It's more rational thought. Mm. Now, when you answer questions, there's something that you do, which I really appreciate. And I think we're all, we all need to learn from you on this, which is that you take a moment to think about your answer. You deliver your answer in a very short and concise way. You don't over communicate. You don't over speak. Right now, you're an experienced keynote speaker. You've gone through a training process. We all know that when we don't know something, we just keep talking and we keep rambling, we right? Yeah. <laughs> until, until we get there, right? And it's we're just thinking out loud, you know. And and as Einstein says, that when we truly understand something, we can we can communicate in a very simple way. Uh, take us through that process of you as a speaker, as a communicator, collecting your thoughts and getting those out. I, I'm going to say one other thing. I'm going to mess this up. I think it might have been Franklin, but what he said something like this. He said that it is better better to be thoughtful than to open your mouth and prove it, something like that. <laughs> and so you know, sometimes less is more, but man, it was tough for me because I had diarrhea of the mouth and I just wanted to keep on talking until someone started to shake their head. Mm. They were generally shaking their head because they were falling asleep because it was so damn boring. <laughs> and doing what you do, when you have a guest on, if that guest sucks the air out of your podcast, you just want to turn them off, shut them off, and walk away. No one's interested in I. They're interested mm. in themselves and their eye, not my eye. So when I use the word, I haven't said it that much, but if I say I, I, people shut down. People want to be in the conversation. They want a conversation, not so much a monologue. So I learned that by painful mistakes, by failing, by having people tune me out, by having people nod off. And I thought, wait, there's got to be a better way to deliver this. Know your subject, be competent. Be confident enough that if you say certain things, people will loop back if they're interested, start talking with you and engage. Mm. And with mm -hmm. <laughs> really good, really good, yes, man. Teacher. Yeah. Now <clears throat> we we cater to uh, folks mostly in extroverted roles, uh, sales, marketing, biz dev, partnerships, things like this. And the thing that a lot of the folks that are struggling with is this idea of communicating with video, right? It's having the confidence to not suffer from imposter syndrome, to be able to communicate and to connect with someone, right? That's what our technology is. That's what Dub is. It's a platform. But really what we want to be able to help people is to overcome that burden, right? That confidence issue. What did you do to get yourself to a place of confidence when communicating with video? Where do you get these questions from? Somebody, somebody's feeding my weakness. Uh, hired a company that actually searched me out from from New York, and, and they said, you know, you're, you're doing these things, and you're doing a lot of this stuff pretty well, but, man, you're, you're messing up this last part. 
And so when the red light goes on, it's a whole different change of pace. It's a tone. And it's the way you're changing. Instead of worrying about what's coming back and thinking about what you're saying to hear it, you're actually talking with or as if it's another person instead of just the camera. So that is a, like you said, the 10,000 hour, that is a lot of practice. It's a lot of practice in the dark place you don't want to go. That's making the sausage instead of just showing the sausage out for sale. That's the dirty stuff where you break your nails, you've got to do the work, you've got to be invested and immersed. And with that self-belief and that coaching, because you're going to take a lot of ass kicking, you got, your ego's going to take a pound when they tell you, that was no good, do it again. You know, for the 40th time and your brain's getting tired, you just want to take a snack or drink some coffee. So you learn it by practice and awareness. And you have a, you have a lot of awareness. I can tell because you're adjusting on the fly. You're talking a lot about awareness. And that awareness carries with it, Ruben, an obligation to do something about what you're now aware. I was aware by watching myself. That was painful or hurt. I'm not great at it, but, but I'm better at it now. I'm not great, but I'm better. Hmm. And you, you wrote a book that, that covers a lot about this, Fail More. The, the tagline is embrace, learn, and adapt to failure as a way to success. And I think that it's so powerful to think about failure in a positive way, not in a negative way. If we look at all the great successes in sports or business, there's a host of failures that most people don't talk about because Jordan, who wants to talk about his failures, right? Who wants to talk about, you know, it, it, the story goes on. How can we come to a place where we can embrace failure as as our as our as our guide as an inspiration for the future if you think about it there is nothing nothing of worthy endeavor that has ever been accomplished without the lessons of failure to inform you nothing and and that the more you climb the ladder the, the more you you strive for to create a better lifestyle for your family for yourself your loved ones you're going to be encountering failure and how you adapt and how resilient you are and what you can learn from it. You know, if you don't learn from the lessons that failure is going to dole out, well, it's just an experience. All you did is, all it is is a time suck. So you've got to learn to embrace that feeling, embrace the failure for what it is. No one ever loves losing. No one, no one loves to fail. When that thing, that thud, that no comes across the bow, ask those questions. What did I learn from this? What can I do differently? How can I adjust and do it? It is a matter of repetition. It is a matter of willingness to get out, engage, and try. And in fact, you you were on the Steve Harvey show to talk about this stuff. Now, I got to say, I love this guy. What, watching his clips, he is so down to earth. He is so real. And talk about a failure to success story. If I'm not mistaken, he was living in a car for a good amount of time. <laughs> he, he was. You know, the uh, inside story that's really cool. It took about five hours to get to him because there was a, a bunch of different people. And I was in room 12. It's my favorite number. And when I got to, I did my hair twice. And I'm like, don't do my hair. My hair is good enough as it is. But they had to do your hair twice. And so the build up to get there was, was, was pretty, you know, it was pretty intense. And I'll tell you what I thought to myself. It's a good takeaway. Uh, I had this, the same coaching company that, that it helped me so much with, hey, you got to stop and do this and, you know, do this in the camera. And they had this script they wanted me to do with Steve. And they wanted me to say that the only thing that separates you from other people. And I said, I'm not going to say that to Steve Harvey because that's just not the truth. Mm. I threw the script out, walked on stage. He pulled me aside and said, I want you back. And I went back three times. He's the coolest person, the most real person sitting next to him. You can feel the greatness. You really can. And you, you, know, you got to take a moment and say, man, I'm really happy doing this with him. And there's about 350 people staring down at you. It's pretty cool. 
So if you don't have confidence, if you don't believe in your message, if you don't keep your message nice and tight, don't try to go out there and try to please everybody. Stay tight, on point, and deliver it with that empathetic sway. You will do well. If you try to be something different and try to be good out of your skis, you will mess up. That's my short little clip notes on that. Please, everybody. That's a dangerous thing. You mentioned that. Pleasing everybody. Where does that come from? Who wants to do that and why do they want to do it? Well, we have this we have this intrinsic thing that it goes back to uh, the days when uh, uh, the cavemen. Right? If you didn't try to stay together in a group, if you cut yourself out, you were ostracized. You, you saber-toothed tiger, a warring tribe. It wasn't going to end well for you. So trying to please people was part of being part of the group. So the more people look to you and please and conform, you you feel very safe. Your brain's number one function is to keep you safe. It feels very safe when there's comfort, when there's a lot of, a lot of good things that people like and say, okay, you're safe. You start sticking yourself out there, making those points that make you uh, something on the radar that people might detract from or knock down or want to. That's where people get it wrong. You've got to have your points, deliver them with, you know, be respectable, um, do it with class. But man, when you start to fall in the line with everybody else and follow that cauldron of comfort, you're going to end up losing. That's so interesting, man. You know, Neil deGrasse Tyson talks about why dogs, why dogs or cats are cute, mostly dogs, why dogs are cute. <laughs> and the reason why dogs are cute is because in, in that time period that you speak of, when there was wolves that would come close to humans, close to the fire, if the, the ones that were the most attractive or cute non-threatening were the ones that would get more food <laughs> a bone yeah. would get thrown at them right yeah. and if you fast forward thousands and thousands of years you know you get a cute a cute dog in fact a domesticated pet <laughs> which is adorable that of course we want to snuggle with and, and give treats to and isn't it interesting how human beings we have we're, we suffer sometimes from this main mindset where our goal is to be accepted by people by everyone as many people as as we possibly can be to your point and as a result unfortunately we we can't make impact that you're not different if you do that you're not you're not a leader you're not you're not bill on the stage that i'm looking at you know uh, i'm going to jump in and insert something as a slice in here at your show but i have to say this to you it, you know, it's almost like Pavlov's dog, and, and the dog, you ring a bell, the dog salivates, and we feel good if we get the certain response, and it comes back on a feedback loop. But what you've done, and I think one of the key to any types of human connection, is it sounds like you have a very, you're very well read, you're very well formed over a number of different subjects, and when you can do that for your listeners or, or your the, the viewers, when you can do that. You can talk with people about different things. Yeah, the wolves, that was that was what it was like to be this way, and that's what, maybe why we're like this. And you're off into mastery in 10,000 hours. Yeah, that's a lot, but, man, that's what it takes. And that's just so you have a connection with somebody instead of showing up and saying, I want to sell you something, or here's what I got. What do you think of me? You're actually having a conversation, and people can relate to that. That's why I think learning over a, a, a long, diverse bandwidth over just you know 20 feet deep it is, a, it is a much better way to learn. Nice. And you, you have a lot of content around this. So where can, where can people learn more about you, website, your book? Give us, give us some links, some social handles. BillWittich.com is my website. And thank you for correct, telling me that part of it's not working today. Bill Wittich, so many people are coming on because they knew I was going to be on your show. 
BillWoodich.com and at BillWoodich, W-O-O-D-I-T-C-H. Okay, got it. And that's your social handle. And then where can folks find your, your book? Well, in the day when Barnes and Nobles were, were open, I think I still might be open in some places, right? You can walk into a Barnes and Noble, but the best place to get it is on Amazon. And it's, it's there's an audible version as well. It's also done in Spanish. Uh, Penguin picked it up from McGraw Hill and did a version in Spanish as well. So uh, it's pretty much on Amazon is where you would get it. Amazing, man. Well, listen, Bill, I, I really appreciate the time here. Uh, you know, keep sharing your light and teaching us, guiding us on this path. Uh, you know, we'd love to uh, incorporate you as part of the larger, you know, dub community of people in sales and marketing. So stay tuned for some more ops that we have, maybe a webinar, maybe a, an action summit uh, speaking gig. So uh, look forward to it, man. Thanks again, Bill. Hey, I enjoy meeting you. You were great. Thank you. Thanks so much, man. Stick around. I'll share some notes with you. All right.